Well, as announced uh, last night, uh, this morning, I'll give uh, yeah, some additional meditation instructions, and certainly uh, these uh, instructions yeah, will cover a few more uh, points or, or uh, main points relating to the city meditation, relating to you know, the walking meditation interviews, and certainly uh, then also general activities and some general uh, recommendations or guidelines uh, with regard to the practice uh, as a whole, at in particular attitudes. Now, in terms of the you know, sitting you know, meditation, try to, um, there are different ways to you know, sit. You can sit, uh, as is uh, mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta, in full you know, lotus, uh, but uh, not each and every one of you will be able to do this. Even if you manage, then maybe after you know, 20 minutes or half an hour, you might end up with uh, uh, some excruciating you know, pains and eggs, and suddenly uh, that might suddenly uh, then um, interfere with your actual you know, practice. Now, when you know, choosing a sitting posture, the main thing is not uh, to you know, impress uh, others or you know, wanting to set some record, but uh, rather to you know, choose a posture that you can maintain comfortably for a longer you know, period of you know, time. So if uh, it's too difficult to sit in full uh, lotus posture, then that's fine. Then choose uh, another posture, uh, maybe the half lotus posture in which uh, you place the uh, foot of one uh, leg on the thigh of the uh, other uh, leg. And then during the following sitting, you could uh, do the same thing again, but uh, then uh, place place the uh, legs in uh, the opposite uh, direction. Now, should uh, this half lotus posture also uh, prove to be too uh, difficult to maintain over a longer period of time, then you might certainly consider sitting in the Burmese posture, um, which means you place one leg in front of the other without certainly the legs uh, uh, interlocking. So, without uh, placing the foot of one leg on the thigh of uh, the other. Now, for a number of meditators, that will work just fine. Um, however, you know, those of you who maybe have some back problems, you might certainly consider sitting on a bench. The Mountain Hermitage has certain number of benches there uh, out there, and. So, and then you tuck uh, the legs underneath uh, the bench. Um, sitting on a bench is certainly uh, very helpful. It certainly uh, naturally will ensure that your posture uh, will be pretty uh, upright. Or if you have some serious uh, back uh, issue or even problem with your knees, you might also uh, sit on a chair. And we do uh, have a number of chairs here, so that's uh, that's fine. But when you sit on a chair, please make sure that you do not lean against the backrest. And uh, the reason for saying this is a certain amount of physical effort to maintain an upright posture is necessary. Otherwise, uh, there's a tendency to easily fall asleep. Now, 
when you sit in meditation, make sure that your back is as upright as possible, ideally at 90 degrees to the ground. And then in terms of the hands, no particular mudra is recommended. Whatever position you place your hands, either on the on the knees or on your lap or whatever way is fine. There's no mystery to this. No, nothing, nothing special to it. In the meditation practice, the main thing is that we develop intuitive wisdom and the posture or the mudra does not necessarily have an impact on this, at least not primarily. And then, when you sit in meditation with an upright posture, then kindly keep your breathing natural, which means you don't want to interfere with it. If naturally your breathing at times happens to be a little bit stronger, a little bit more forceful, okay, then just accept this and just observe it as best as you can. If at other times your breathing is naturally slowing down, is somewhat Shallower, okay, in this case, certainly then just observe it as it certainly is. The main thing is not to interfere with your breathing. So sometimes meditators, you know, what they do is when the you know, breathing or the rising and falling movement of the abdomen is certainly somewhat certainly forceful, somewhat certainly faster, then intentionally they slow it down. This is not necessary. Also, so when it's when the breathing is rather slow and shallow, then intentionally they speed it up, and so that's not necessary. Now. As mentioned already last night, the primary object of observation in our sitting meditation is which object? The abdomen. The abdomen, there you go, the rising movement and the falling movement of the abdomen. So as you're breathing in, quite naturally, the abdomen will expand, it will rise, and then take that rising movement itself as an object of observation and then label it with a silent, gentle, mental label as rise or rising. And then observe it as best as you can and try to know its sudden nature. And same thing goes certainly for the fawning movement of the abdomen. Now and a point that meditators sometimes misunderstand is observing the rising and falling movement of the abdomen does not mean that you have to observe the breath as or the air as it is suddenly going in through the nostrils, down the windpipe, into the lungs, and then eventually the abdomen is rising. If one were to do this suddenly, then the object of observation would be rather you know, that large in uh, in size, and so, uh, as a result of this, you won't be able to uh, know very many uh, details. Therefore, the Venerable Mahasi side of Burma has certainly recommended uh, that meditators observe the predominant sensations uh, that uh, occur in 
relationship with the rising movement of the abdomen and falling movement of the abdomen. Sometimes what may happen is you know, that the most predominant certainness sensation takes place in the right part of your abdomen, then you just observe it there. Or at other times it may happen that certainness, the most predominant sensation occurs more on the left-hand side of the abdomen. Okay, then you just observe it there. Or it may happen that the most predominant sensation is more in the lower part of the abdomen, then observe it certainly accordingly, and certainly at other times the most predominant sensation may be more in the center or maybe more in the you know, chest area. Wherever it happens to be, just observe it where it is certainly taking place. And once again, without following the entire breath, without following the air going through the nostrils and through the windpipe and into the lungs. Now, the maxim for you know, the observation of foot predominant objects is always you know, label and observe and know the most you know, predominant object you know, in the body or you know, in the mind and starting with you know, the observation of the rising falling movement of the abdomen. So uh, you observe the rising falling and uh, then if some other object, you know, more predominant object occurs somewhere else, you know, then let go of the observation of your rise and fall and uh, then focus your attention on that other you know, predominant object and uh, then label it, observe it and know its uh, nature. At times, one that might be experiencing two or three objects of the same intensity, the same predominance, in which case you know, the choice is with you. You choose the object of your liking. And, so, and then we try to observe one object at a time. Having said this, there are situations when um, several objects tend to arise seemingly. Several objects arise simultaneously. If this is the case, then focus on the most important or the most predominant object. Label that, observe it, know its nature, and the other objects just uh, know um, in a general way uh, at the uh, periphery. But this happens only at uh, two places uh, in the practice. So usually it's one object at a time. Now, as you're observing the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, it may very well happen that suddenly your mind wanders off. And so you might be you know, reflecting back on you know, your journey you know, from you know, your home here to the retreat certain facility in you know, Taos, or uh, you might certainly be you know, thinking you know, what's you know, thinking into the future, you know, what you know, thinking about so what lies ahead of you during this certain retreat certainly here, or you know, work-related issues might come up, family-related. You know, uh, issues, etc., etc. Whatever it certainly might certainly be, you know, just label 
this as thinking or planning, remembering, reflecting, fantasizing, etc. And then try to observe the thinking in a non-reactive manner. And very important, make sure you do not get caught up in the content of your thoughts. So sometimes what happens is when you sit in meditation, the mind has calmed down to quite some extent, and then some fabulous idea comes into your mind. And so if you happen to be a carpenter, then you you might think about developing a new tool that will a carpentry tool that will make certain processes in the carpentry work easier. And so then you sit there and you spend hours and hours designing this new fabulous modern carpentry tool. So please don't go for this. And Satya, just be mindful of the thinking. Don't get caught up in the content of your thoughts. In the end, it's just another thought. It's just another mental object. And that's Satya all. When, it's, when we say to know the nature of thinking, then this may mean different things. So you could pay attention to whether it is just one single thought that arises and then you're mindful of it and then it disappears. Or is it that a thought arises, it seems pretty attractive, and then you get caught up in the content of the thought, and this sudden thought then leads uh, to the next thought, and again to another thought, and it becomes uh, um, a train of sudden thoughts. Or um, it might suddenly happen that your mind suddenly gets caught up in you know, some you know, contentious certain you know, issue, and then it thinks about it over and over and over again, and suddenly hence you know, this would qualify as obsessive you know, thinking. So if this is the case, then just you know, know this particular you know, nature of you know, the thinking. And so At first, when we are still just a few days into a meditation retreat, then it may easily happen that suddenly we sit, you know, observing rising and falling, a thought suddenly arises, and suddenly then we get caught up in it, and suddenly then the thinking may last for as long as five minutes, sometimes even ten minutes, and with some meditators as long as half an hour. So what a great suddenly pity. So much precious time has been wasted on just getting caught up in uh, thinking. So, in general, try to you know, be mindful of the thinking as soon as you can, and suddenly you will see over time your mindfulness will get sharper. The mind overall will get suddenly sharper, and suddenly then try to catch the thinking as suddenly quickly as possible. 
and suddenly then with mind, if mindfulness is strong enough, it will subside and suddenly then go back to your rise and fall. Otherwise, what you could do is, if a thought is suddenly uh, lasting or, or despite of your mindfulness, it continues, then simply cut it off and go back to the observation of your rise and fall. Now, yesterday I mentioned uh, about certain mindfulness of certain pains. So, you know, with there's still a few more aspects that were not certainly mentioned and are worth uh, explaining. For one thing, the attitude towards certain pain matters a lot. And certain, so you know, when a pain arises, try to you know, see it as just another object of you know, observation and you know, try not to you know, get rid of it right away. And so, so when a pain you know, comes up, then you know, focus your attention on it, label it, observe it so, uh, in a non-reactive manner, you know, try to know its nature, and certainly then uh, if it passes away, go back to your observation of the rise and fall. If it continues, then continue to observe it, and then know you know, details such as the quality of the pain, no details such as, such as the intensity of the pain, whether the pain is becoming more intense or less intense or staying the same or changing into some other sensation and eventually maybe back to the original pain. And then pay attention to how that pain eventually disappears. And now, working with the pain at first may seem like rather unpleasant. However, a pain is usually a clear-cut object, and thus it very much helps to develop concentration. It brings about unification of the mind. And as Sutner mentioned, I'm not quite sure whether I mentioned that yesterday. Oh, with regard to a strong you know, pain, observe it as best as you can. Try not to you know, change your posture you know, right away, and you know, and do change your posture only you know, if the pain becomes really excruciating and certain you fear that you might be you know, damaging you know, a knee or you, know, you might end up with some bad problem etc. So in that case you do change your posture but do so slowly and mindfully be aware of the intention to change the posture and then slowly mindfully you change your posture and know all the different sensations and movements involved in this and then continue with your practice. Now Continuity of mindfulness is key for the deepening of our meditation practice, and so continuity is a rather relative expression, and certainly there are different degrees to it. You will see over time that your mindfulness will become more and more continuous. Now. 
in the observation of a predominant certain physical or mental object, a number of factors play uh, an important role uh, apart from content of uh, apart from mindfulness, and certain those are witaka in the Pali scripture language, which is aiming. Um, usually translated as uh, initial application of uh, the mind as it, when taking it as a jhanic factor. And uh, this means when a predominant object uh, has arisen somewhere in the body, then we try to aim our attention at the center of that particular uh, object. Now, aiming alone is not enough. This needs to be accompanied by effort in the Pali scripture language known as viriya. And effort is that mental force that propels the observing mind towards the object of observation. And so it ensures that the mind actually reaches the object. And when it comes to effort, then we need to make sure that the effort is neither in excess nor lacking. If it's in excess, then it will overshoot the object. If it is lacking, then what will happen? Yes? Huh? It go to the mind will go to sleep, or one the observing mind will fall short of the object of observation. At times, it may also happen that certainly our attention will slip off an object. Now, when those two mental factors, namely. Um, Vitakas are aiming as well as effort are present, then usually the observing mind and certainly the object will be in contact and will be rubbing against each other as our you know, venerable teacher, you know, the venerable Sadhu Pandita B. oneself, uh, Burma, likes to you know, point out. And it's in this rubbing, in this process of rubbing, you know, that certainly gradually you no know, one comes to know the nature of the object. Now, with continuity of effort and aiming and rubbing, mindfulness will also be there based on continuity of mindfulness concentration arises and based on this then intuitive wisdom can unfold. One comes to know something about the qualities of the object. Now, in terms of uh, the labeling, labeling is uh, um, a mental activity that is clearly of a conceptual nature. It has nothing to do with ultimate certain reality. The Buddha, or in the in the Satipatthana uh, Sutta, uh, there are indications uh, for uh, the labeling, uh, indications that justify uh, labeling, and. 
And so when you uh, label, or when an object arises, you know, then try to you know, find some simple you know, word you know, that certain characterizes certain, you know, the object, and you know, then you know, observe it, know its nature. Again, you want to label, and then you want to observe it, and certain, you try to know the nature of the object. And so you, know, you want to, um, for yourself, find you know, just the right frequency in terms of you know, the labeling. If you label too much, you know, then what might happen, Jim? We lose contact with the object. Yes, and then you might just spend your time on labeling and become an expert in labeling, but you might not find any, know anything about the nature of the object. The labeling itself may cut, you know, interfere with the actual observation of you know, the object. And thus, we need to find find out for ourselves you know, just the right amount of uh, labeling, not too much of it, not too uh, little of it. And so, a certain degree of you know, flexibility uh, is you know, there. If on occasion you miss to label an object, however you are aware of the object and you know its nature, that is fine. Um, but uh, overall, do try you know, to you know, label as best as certain possible. May I ask a question? Yes. It's a concern to me about this question of losing contact with the object as a result of labeling. And even the simplest labeling seems to have that result. Um, and I was, I've encountered teaching that suggests that labeling is not necessary. In fact, in most cases when objects arise, I know what they are without having to name them. Um, and I'm wondering if some kind of preconceptual awareness is sufficient to do the Vipassana practice. Well, and so, uh, do you remember times when you got lost in thinking? <laughs> <laughs> It's easier to talk about the converse when I didn't get caught in thinking. I'm thinking a lot. Okay. So, the labeling has its certain place, and it very much helps a meditator to um, well gain some clarity about what certain the object is that one is certainly currently observing. Um, and there's a huge, if we just know objects in a pretty general manner, we just know, oh, there's a sensation, oh, there's another sensation, or again, there's a sensation, then the distinction between one object and the other, between one sensation and the other, is no longer there. And that, in the long run, is not necessarily to the advantage of a meditator, since a really precise and detailed observation of what is happening is certainly important, especially for later on, when things become much more refined.
And so the labeling very much helps in this regard. And are occurring in a quick sequence and you can't you know, cope with you know, the labeling yeah, that's fine if temper or if temporarily you, know, you want to um, set aside you know, the labeling that's you know, that's okay but certainly then when later on you know, the flow of objects slows back down again you know, then you know, I do recommend that you pick up the labeling again I know. So you'll have to see, you have to go by you know, conditions. You know, but overall, you know, labeling, we do encourage you know, labeling. Now, what else? So you know, the, mm, the labeling is not you know, the main you know, thing. You know, just you know, consider it as a tool. It helps you, you know, as mentioned, you know, to gain clarity about you know, what the object is that you're currently you know, observing and, you know, uh, and then you know, give uh, more you know, preference to or, or, you know, uh, you know, and, and then make sure that you, you know, clearly observe you know, the respective object and know its uh, nature. Now, maybe you know, this much with regard to your you know, sitting meditation. And so, you know, now let's move on and so take a closer look at you know, the walking meditation. Now, in the walking meditation is as important as you know, the sitting meditation. At times there are you know, meditators who you know, think that only you know, the sitting meditation is you know, valid you know, to deepen one's practice, but that's not the case at all. And in the text you know, there are you know, examples of you know, people, you know, monastics and you know, lay meditators who gain you know, the Dhamma while you know, doing walking meditation. Now, during the first uh, few days of a uh, retreat, you know, try to spend an equal amount of uh, time on you know, sitting meditation and walking you know, meditation. So one hour sitting, one hour of uh, walking. Now, usually three forms of you know, walking you know, meditation are you know, suggested in you know, the Mahasi tradition. The first one is you know, that when the right leg you know, moves, we label this as right step, and you know, then you know, we observe the most predominant sensation occurring you know, you know, somewhere in you know, the leg, wherever in wherever it occurs in the leg, and you know, then you know, whenever you know, the left, you know, when the 
the left leg moves accordingly we label it as such as left step and then we focus our attention on the most predominant sensation occurring in the leg and this first type of walking meditation is right step, left step, right step, left step. This is done a little bit faster, at least faster than the remaining two forms of walking meditation. However, in comparison to ordinary walking, it's still slower than ordinary walking. And keep in mind that the type of walking meditation that we're doing here is not ordinary walking around like you know, when you walk down a street or you know, like a you know, villager you know, walk, you know, walking around in a village. So when we do the walking meditation, the, you know, the aim is you know, to you know, develop our mindfulness, to develop concentration and intuitive knowledge. Now, this after about certain twenty minutes of uh, uh, you know, right step left step type of foot now walking meditation, we you know, then change to the second type of foot walking meditation, which means that we you know, divide one step into two parts, which uh, so when we lift the foot, you know, then we label this as certain lifting and. Certain then carefully we observe the lifting process and try to know the predominant sensations. Then at the beginning of the lowering process we label this as lowering and then we observe the whole thing and try to know the nature of the lowering and placing process. Now Having done this certain type of walking meditation for about you know, 20 minutes, you know, we you know, then slow down our you know, walking even further. We divide one step into three parts, you know, namely as lifting and then pushing and sort or, or gliding as you like, and certain you know, then as lowering and certain you know, placing. Now, the lifting and the lowering are as explained before, and certainly the only new thing is certainly that certain pushing phase or process. And at the very beginning of this pushing process, we label this as pushing or gliding, and then we observe this movement as best as we can. We try to know the predominant sensations while you know, the foot certainly moves uh, through the air and we try to know the nature of uh, what is certainly happening. And now, for the first, certain first, second day, you you, know, you can do the walking meditation as explained. So, you know, th 20 minutes, you know, left step, right step, you know, then 20 minutes as lifting, you know, lowering, and placing, and certainly then 20 minutes of you know, lifting, pushing, and lowering, and placing. Sh 
should sooner or later you feel that the first or second type of you know, doing the walking meditation is too fast and it interferes with a clear you know, understanding of what's happening, then you know, drop you know, the first type and the second type and then just focus on you know, the third type of you know, walking meditation. And you will notice that this will happen quite naturally. As you will naturally want to slow down more and more. Now, when you do the walking meditation, make sure your posture is upright and then focus your eyes at a point maybe three to four meters ahead of you. Try not to look to the right, to the left. Keep your eyes restrained since if you were to look around a lot, then this would easily create some distractions in the mind. Yes? Should we be focusing on the sensation of the foot touching the ground as well, or just the motion, the intention to move the foot? Well, if the intention is certainly predominant, if it's apparent, then you could take the intention as an object of observation, and then just label that, observe it as best as you can and know its nature. And then while the foot is actually moving or you're lowering and placing it, then and different certain sensations occur during that process, then also focus your attention on you know, the respective sensation. So let's say as 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 the foot is, let's say during the you know, lowering process, as the foot the foot is gradually you know, moving closer and closer towards you know, the ground, you know, there's maybe a sensation of uh, uh, relaxation or release. Okay, you know, then you could take the release as an uh, object of observation. You observe but, you know, that you try to know its nature. So it's and you slow it down as much as need be. Yes, right. That's it. And suddenly, you know, then you know, when you know, the heel or the entire foot is actually you know, touching. You know, the ground, then be mindful of those of the sensations involved in the foot certainly touching the ground, and much could be happening there. And usually, what happens is during the first one two days or so, meditators oftentimes are still pretty focused on sensations occurring owing to the ground one is walking on. So let's say if you walk on a carpet. Yeah, then yeah, you'll be experiencing certain you know, sensations related to the carpet, or if you were to walk bare you know, foot on on a gravel you know, you know, you know, path, naturally you know, there'll be many sensations related to walking on on, on those gravels. Um, but later on, you know, the uh, advice will surely be you know, to you know, focus one's sensations more, or focus one's attention more on the sensations you know, that occur in the foot itself, irrespective on of you know, you know, the floor one is uh, or the ground one is walking on. Hmm?
And now, when you, you know, do you know, the walking meditation, you know, please make you know, sure you know, that your path does not crisscross suddenly you know, with the, the path of another you know, person. And the reason for you know, this is you know, this may you know, lead to you know, some unnecessary you know, social you know, friction. So you know, even though you, know, you seem to be outwardly, you seem to be the most peaceful person, but inwardly, who knows? You might be getting pretty angry with the other person who is uh, interfering with your territory. And so, you know, then, um, you know, when it comes to you know, the length of uh, you know, you know, the path you know, for you know, walking meditation, it doesn't need to be uh, you know, very long, just 5 to 10 meters you know, would be you know, quite uh, enough. And so, you know, you know, the the lodge here is pretty you know, spacious, and I'm sure you know, that uh, you'll uh, find a place where you, know, you can do your you know, walking meditation without uh, disturbing any of the other you know, meditators. Now, let me see. Now, in the walking meditation, as well as you know, during you know, general activities, the slowing down of our physical movements and certain activities is or tremendously helps to deepen our you know, practice. And at first, this might not be you know, obvious. Uh, however, when we you know, actually do try to you know, slow down, then we realize that there is much more to this certain body and mind. We notice that there's so many sensations occurring in the body, there's so many objects taking place in the mind, and certainly so slowing down then helps us to see those certain objects or those certain phenomena. There is a maxim I suppose that was coined by you know, the venerable, late Venerable Mahasi side of Thutna Burma. The, s the slower you go, the more progress you actually will have in your practice. And it's not the other way around. The faster you move around, you know, the faster you, know, you will move ahead in your meditation practice. So, over time, try to find just the right speed for your walking meditation and general activities. Now, let me briefly demonstrate those forms, three forms of walking meditation so that you get an idea of how to do it. <coughs> And so, you want to assume an upright certain posture, eyes focused at a point maybe three to four meters ahead of you, and then kindly, what I have not mentioned so far is, keep your hands either in front of the body or behind your back, and for sure do not kind of let your arms fly all over the place. Um, 
all of our bodily uh, activities should certainly be observed, certainly should be performed with mindfulness. So people who um, are pretty absent-minded will easily move around in the walking meditate or move from one place to another and suddenly then the hands are flying all over uh, the place. This is certain rather absent-minded behavior. And so, uh, then, so as for the first uh, type of uh, walking meditation, right step, left step, so as uh, the right leg moves forward, we label this as right step, and then we focus our attention on the most predominant sensation in the right leg. So this could be maybe some... Um, well, some lightness in the knee, or it could be maybe some muscular movements in the thighs, etc. So, left step, and then right step, and then left step, and then right step, and then again left step. Now, even the standing becomes certainly an exercise of mindfulness. So when we're standing, we label this as standing, standing. We observe it. We observe. We try to observe the most predominant sensations as they occur uh, in the feet. And suddenly then, if an intention naturally arises to turn, then we take that intention as an object. So intention to turn, and then followed by the actual physical process of turning. So this then we label as turning, turning, once again, turning and turning. And then you try to know the predominant sensations that occur while you're turning uh, around. And then, when standing, once again, then be mindful of this, label it as standing, and then observe it as best as you can, and know the different sensations involved. Now, um, next I'll demonstrate the second type of walking meditation, which will be a little bit slower than the first type. So we divide one step into two parts, lifting, and then um, lowering and placing. And then again lifting and lowering and placing. Lifting and lowering placing. And please focus your attention on the foot or on the sensations in the foot which is moving, not on the other foot which is static on you know, the ground. So. Now the focus should be, in this case, should be on the left foot as it is coming up and then is being placed. And then again, lifting and placing. Then as before, while standing, be mindful of this and suddenly then be mindful of the process of turning around, intention to turn and then the turning turning and then again turning and turning and then standing. 
Now, for you know, the second and uh, third type of walking meditation, you want to you know, take small or short steps. And the reason for you know, this is, if you were to take a long step like this, then while placing one foot on the ground, you know, the other one will come off the ground you know, right away, and suddenly then you'll have two objects you know, occurring simultaneously, and the mind will not know uh, what to observe. And it will go back and forth you know, many times, and it may you know, lead to you know, some you know, uh, destruction in the mind or agitation in the mind. So much easier than this is, or much better than this is to simply choose or take short steps. So then as lifting and then moving and suddenly lowering and placing. So now I'll show you the third type of walking meditation. So lifting. And as you're lifting you know, the foot, try to know all the sensations involved in it. Then, at the beginning of the forward movement, just label this as forward or uh, pushing or gliding. And suddenly then, observe the different sensations that occur while the foot is suddenly moving ahead. So there could be some numbness in the foot, but there could also be some cold in the foot, or you know, there could be you know, some... Uh, well, some mm, sensation, some mm, a stinging sensation in the foot, etc., etc. Then, at the beginning of the lowering process, label this as lowering, and suddenly then you know, carefully observe the different sensations involved uh, uh, in lowering the foot. And then, in particular, pay attention to um, you know, the point when you know, the heel or the entire foot is touching you know, the ground. So, at first, there could be some very you know, you know, refined suddenness, softness, some lightness, some you know, gentleness, suppleness, and suddenly then you know, the gradual placing of you know, the foot on you know, the ground, and then certain release of you know, muscular you know, tension, and suddenly then a change of you know, or a shift in, in, in pressure, etc., etc. And then again, lifting then forward movement, and then lowering and suddenly placing. Lifting, forward movement, lowering and placing. Okay, so let's suddenly that. Now, in terms of fitness general activities, slowing down is important. Restraint of the senses also uh, is important. And suddenly then whatever you know, the activity you know, might be that you're engaged in, try to do it as suddenly as slowly as possible. So anything that's uh, is um, apart from you know, formal sitting and uh, the walking meditation comes under you know, general activities. So it covers certain you know, things like opening and closing one's eyes and being mindful of footness, stretching and certain you know, bending, opening and closing a door, you know, taking you know, a meal, all the many processes involved you know, in this. 
and uh, and then uh, also to be in particular mindful of the activities that are occurring while in your while you are in your uh, room. And sometimes what happens is meditators, when practicing together here in the in the meditation hall, the mindfulness is there. But then, as soon as one enters into one's room, then the mindfulness gets dropped at the door sill. And so that's not helpful. At first, uh, we may think, well, what's so special about uh, uh, opening or closing a door? Mm-hmm. And suddenly there seems to be nothing happening there. But if you observe uh, that particular activity over and over again in the course uh, of a day, then you might uh, find quite a number of details. Now, Briefly, a few remarks about the interview. You are welcome to write down your meditation experiences. This may be a little bit, this instruction or or advice might be a little bit different from what you've heard from other teachers. But my experience in Burma as well as certainly in Dumbini has been such that when meditators write down their their, uh, major experiences after sitting in a session or walking session, it very much helps to catch many details and that helps for a better understanding of what's going on in the practice and also helps the teacher to understand what is happening. Now, next, we have an interview witness schedule, or it will be out certainly very soon. We will start with the interviews tomorrow, and one group will be seeing Marcia, the other group will be seeing me, and then we alternate. And certainly, do check the interview list will be on the on the bulletin board. Uh, this afternoon, and so do uh, check uh, the uh, interview uh, list uh, every morning, maybe after breakfast, uh, just to make sure uh, uh, that uh, just uh, in case uh, some change uh, occurs. And uh, oh, and then in terms of the location, interviews with you will be in your room. No? It's room four. I'll be doing interviews in room four, which is go out the back of the dining room and So you walk past the swimming pool 
and so you you, uh, you exit from the dining hall. Uh, you walk past the swimming pool on the right hand side, yes. and so then uh, and you go uh, around a little bit to the right, and, and then it's, uh, and that room comes up. A very nice room, and so then what? So then check your time. Come when um, then be ready for the uh, interview. Be there in time. Maybe a few minutes before the appointed time. And at least for me, um, when I will be ringing the bell, maybe a minute or two before the or the present meditator has finished his or her report. So when you hear the bell, please do come in and then take a seat and and then. No, wait until your turn comes up. In this way, we can save some time. You know, the time sometimes it takes for for a person to come in to bow down or or you know, show respect and then you know, find or, or sit down. You know, that takes up a lot of time if you multiply this by uh, you know, eight or nine people. Yes. I ring the bell just as the person in front of you finishes. <laughs> with Marcia, it's one thing. With me, it's another thing. <laughs> um, now, let me see. When you come into the interview room, please do so as mindfully as possible. Just to relate some story in this regard. The vendor, most have, have any of you practiced with Sadhu Pandita? Jim has, no? No? You have? Uh, one, two, oh, Kim. And Viranyani, yes, also a few. The venerable Sadhu Pandita Bhivan's uh, um, of Fatna uh, Burma, successor to uh, the venerable Mahasi Sadhu, uh, is a very uh, acute observer. And just when, you know, just by observing how a meditator walks into you know, the interview room, he already uh, gains a pretty good understanding where the yogi's practice is at. So you can imagine if uh, you know, a new yogi comes storming into you know, the interview room and slams the door, you know, then, you know, then we can say this yogi has very little mindfulness. Maybe the person is even quite angry. And so, so do pay attention to this and so, uh, take this in itself as an exercise in mindfulness. Now, in terms of forms of respect, if you want to bow down, you do that. If you want to just uh, uh, clasp your hands in front of the chest, that's fine too. If you don't want to uh, use any form of respect, that's fine too, as you'd like. Nothing uh, is enforced here. And then, 
when you give certain your report, kindly try to adhere to the standards of modern sciences, namely accuracy, brevity, and certain precision. So you don't want to go on and on and on and on about the same thing for a long period of time. Before you come into the interview room, please have at least some uh, idea of what you're going to report. Sometimes it happens, a meditator comes in, sits down, and then goes through the notebook, oh, what am I going to report today? Oh, oh maybe, no, no, not this, maybe. And then the person flips the pages and <laughs> then finally settles on something. So uh, do know what you want to uh, report uh, uh, prior to uh, the interview. And uh, then uh, ideally report on your best uh, sitting and also on your best walking meditation. Now you might uh, want to know what is your best sitting or best walking meditation. Best here does not necessarily mean that uh, you only have uh, wonderful experiences. Meditation is not only about wonderful experiences. Sometimes it can get quite difficult. And so, so best is more in the sense of um, a sitting that best reflects you know, the latest development in your meditation practice over the last 24 hours. So let's say if you've had a couple of very difficult sittings, then choose one you know, that is relatively clear in certain, you know, of, of those difficult sits and then you know, present that. And then uh, also uh, give a short report on uh, your walking meditation. Now, the Venerable Sainu Pandita has certain devised a way of uh, well uh, being uh, somewhat systematic, not only during the sitting itself, but also during the interviewing. So he uh, recommends that certain meditators stick, uh, or at least mention, three things. The occurrence of the respective object, as number one. Number two, the labeling and certainly the observation of the respective object. And then, as number three, knowing the nature of uh, the, uh, the most predominant object. And so, when you uh, if you can apply that certain those certain three aspects you know, to your practice while you're observing an object. So, let's say a pain occurs, a pain arises. That's your occurrence. There's nothing you have to do there. It will happen all by itself. And then, as the pain is certainly going on, you label it. So during the interview, just to state whether you did label it or not. And then, um, and which label did you use? And then, uh, the next aspect in connection with the labeling is the observation. And please notice there is a difference between labeling and certain observation. Labeling is just conceptual, is perception, whereas certain observation is your mindfulness. 
and suddenly suddenly you say whether you were able to observe the object or not, whether the observation was continuous or not, and then the last part is certainly the knowing, knowing the nature of the object. So what are the qualities, the features, the characteristics of the object that you are involved in observing? So these certain three aspects, occurrence, labeling, plus observation, and then as number three, knowing the nature of the object, these you can use to structure your reporting a little bit. It may at first seem somewhat monotonous and somewhat mechanic, but there is there's some benefits to this. It really helps to structure things. Then when you give your report, please use simple language. There's no need to you know, go into you know, really sophisticated language. Also, there's no need whatsoever you know, to you know, use complicated polytechnical uh, terms. And so, um, and also try not to evaluate your practice by saying things like, well, I'm, I was observing the rising and falling, and then clearly I saw you know, the anicca aspect of the rising and falling. Well, good, I realize you know something about Pani, but you haven't said what this anicca nature of the rising and falling is like. So rather than using technical terms, just describe in simple, ordinary, or worldly language what actually happened. Now, when you give your report, please, there's no need whatsoever to impress the teachers with your meditation experiences. So do not report from imagination, but rather be truthful, as truthful as possible, and simply just relate to, relate to the teacher what happened in your practice. Now, we all, have, or for, for the most part, we have you know, this you know, nature or tendency uh, to, or wanting to impress certain someone. This is not certainly necessary. If uh, some difficulties have occurred in our practice, okay, now well, now then we just accept these difficulties and we just relate those to you know, the teacher. And so the result of this then will be that you will be getting some um, hopefully you know, valuable advice that will help you deal with those certain difficulties. Now, let me see. Um, yes, try not to evaluate your own practice. Try not to assess your own practice, especially if you're still relatively new to the meditation and you have covered only one part of the path towards liberation. Then how will you know what is a good experience, what represents a deepening of practice and what represents, let's say, a stagnation in one's practice or maybe even a regression in one's practice. So leave that part to you know, the teacher and you know, just focus on actually doing the practice, observing it, knowing uh, whatever is certainly going on. Now, 
there since you know, uh, Marcia and myself will be you know, interviewing all of you, know, you so two teachers you know, will be there. There may be some slight differences in approach, slight differences in the guidance you know, given. Please be patient with this and you know, simply accept you know, the guidance you know, with an open mind, with, an, uh, with a mental flexibility. And there's always something that we can learn from uh, from a teacher. Now, the uh, interviews or having to come you know, to an interview you know, six times uh, a week um, has uh, brings uh, several uh, benefits. One of uh, those certain benefits is that uh, the interviews will, f the fact that you will have to report the following day will ensure that you will be uh, observing at least one sitting in a day and one walking session in a day somewhat properly. <laughs> and. Uh, Otherwise, so with meditation practice, there is a certain tendency to, you know, take it easy and, oh, it's so comfortable here and it's so nice here. So then it's more of a vacation than actually a proper mindfulness practice. So uh, the regular interviews will uh, help to make sure that you're working well. Secondly, the interviews, or during an interview, you give your report, and then based on your report, you'll be receiving instructions, you'll be receiving encouragement, explanations, at times corrective measures, and all of this will help you to move ahead in your meditation practice, and if any difficulties are there, to properly tackle those certain difficulties. So in the end, you know, the interviews are for your benefit. And in general, we can say that the interviews really have a galvanizing effect on a meditator's certain practice. So maybe this much with uh, also when you give your report, you know, try to do so in a sequential manner. So let's say you, know, you have selected one particular sitting as your best sit, and then in a chronological manner um, or sequential manner, starting you know, from a description of uh, your experiences related to the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, then describe what happened one after another. So don't uh, report just everything, but the highlights of uh, uh, of your best uh, sitting. And if there's certain experiences that occurred for a second time, for a third time, you know, then there's no need you know, to you know, report uh, you know, the same experience uh, all over again a second time or a third time. You know, so this uh, this will help to save a little bit of uh, time. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, we've settled on 15 minutes. In the past, I, you know, for me, it was 10 minutes, but I usually uh, you know, ran late by two, three, four, five minutes, and then uh, over the morning accumulated to quite a bit.
Yes. It's helpful with having 15 minutes. Uh, a lot can be accomplished in 15 minutes. And it's helpful for Saidal and myself if each of you are aware of that 15-minute time slot, as well as, of course, we will be, mm -hmm. so that it's not just Saidal's responsibility and my responsibility to have the boundaries of 15 now. Uh, and in this connection, also, um, yeah, so we'll have 15 minutes per person, and so, yeah, then you, know, you want to you know, use well, some of you know, this time to you know, present your report, but you will also want to leave the teacher some time to give some advice. <laughs> because sometimes what happens, just to share, you know, there are those you know, yogis who are so eager to give their report, and the, you know, this time starts with zero, and so, you know, then it's you know, 14 minutes and 45 seconds, and the student finally stops and says, okay, now it's your time. What do you have to say? <laughs> Yes, they will be. Yeah, right. We each have one, and there's one for each of you. I mean, there'll be one facing you. Uh, <laughs> Can I ask a question, Saida? Uh, yes. Uh, all of the practices devoted to the observation of the objects as they arise one after the other. So it's kind of unidirectional. And, and I ask this question against the backdrop of... Uh, meta-practice, uh, what is the quality of the mind of awareness that, that's observing each of these objects as they arise? Uh, and I've found, for instance, that um, my mind can be severe in its observation, and that can be in a kind of hindrance yeah. to the quality of the practice. Mm -hmm that there is something to uh, a more friendly, loving kindness quality of awareness that can make a subtle difference. But so the awareness doesn't become, the object becomes the mind of awareness. Yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering if, I'm not absolutely clear here. No, Jim, what you're pointing at certainly is certainly very good, and indeed, at times, you can you know, take the you know, attitude, the mental attitude towards, or the mental attitude that is prevalent while you're observing you know, some you know, object as an object itself. No. So if, let's say, you know, you're aggressively labeling and observing and knowing an object, then just know that you know, you observe and know this aggressive you know, attitude. And so you know, being mindful of that you know, then might certainly help to tone things down a little bit and certainly then to observe you know, the respective physical or other object in a more gentle manner. No, so that's uh, the mind is flexible. You can do with it a lot. No, don't do it all the time, though. No. 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 
what we've covered so far uh, are you know, points uh, related to the sitting meditation, the walking meditation, and uh, general activities, and, uh, and then the interviews. What remains uh, are a few um, recommendations, guidelines, uh, with regard to uh, the attitude uh, that we bring towards uh, practice. And this, too, may be very important. Sometimes uh, now this is being uh, kind of uh, neglected, not being uh, paid attention to, and then later on difficulties arise. So, some retreatants do not drink enough liquids while on retreat, and as a result of this, get re dehydrated. Therefore, please ensure that your daily intake of liquids is above two liters. Now, yes? Here in New Mexico, for those of you that aren't familiar with being here, it's very very dry, dry, as you may already have felt in your skin, mm. in your throat, in your eyes. Well, the lips are already the cracking. The skin, yes. so. so you need more liquid here than you may like in Burma, for Florida. Please, please, it's very important here in New Mexico to take lots of liquid and also your skin needs hydration you need to put cream because the skin the fingers can crack very easily here it's very dry so please take care of yourself so then uh, more than two liters a day, yes, I think so. two, uh, two and a half, three liters, so you'll have to experiment. Then secondly, some retreatants eat very little or eat less and less or even start to fast. Intensive meditation practice requires that a retreatant eat a moderate, at least a moderate amount of food to provide the body you know, with nutrition and certain strength. So please do not, uh, uh, while you're, or do not uh, uh, try to combine intensive vipassana practice uh, uh, with a fast. This, for the most part, will not uh, work. Then. Some retreatants allowed to be constipated for an awfully long period of time, like three you know, days or three, four, you know, or even more you know, days. And the result of this is going to be what? <laughs> it's a huge dukkha. So the mind will be irritated, and suddenly the abdomen will be inflated, and suddenly so there's a lot of unnecessary suffering there. So hopefully you will have brought some natural laxatives, or and the Mountain Hermitage has plus. You have the prunes at breakfast. There's a basket also of different kinds of medicine, non-prescribed medicine, out in the hallway where the note boards are, should you need it. And just help, uh, help yourself. Okay, very good. In Lumbini we have the same. 
and then um, so please tackle any kind of foot constipation as soon as possible and uh, so use certain other laxatives if all of this certainly doesn't work then um, come and tell me and uh, there's certainly one particular exercise that physical exercise which involves drinking one liter of water and that uh, early in the morning after getting up and that usually also that helps Then, as another point, in the course of an intensive meditation retreat, the need for night sleep will fluctuate, sometimes lessening, sometimes increasing. It is not recommended, however, to deliberately deprive oneself of fitness sleep or to willfully practice through the whole night, even though one's practice is not up to the mark. So you have to understand meditation intensive Vipassana practice as a process, as certain, um, well, a process where we undergo you know, changes and you know, there are certain points in the practice you know, when things are you know, moving very well, you know, the mind is very strong, a lot of energy is there and then you know, indeed we can you know, get by on less sleep. This happens naturally and the teacher will you know, 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 know when this you know, can be expected. But then, and so if one then practices a little bit more, that's okay. But at other times, it may be just the opposite as a natural you know, outcome of you know, the practice or you know, uh, occurrence you know, uh, in the course of one's meditation. And you know, then one might feel extremely tired. One might you know, feel like going to bed already at 7 p.m. or even or, or 8 you know, p.m. So um, a certain amount of footnote flexibility is certainly necessary. And certainly this forceful, you know, with you know, forcefully or forcing oneself to practice you know, through the whole night and just you know, sitting and walking or just you know, sitting and I've you know, seen people do this in Burma, this is not necessarily to a meditator's advantage. Now, some retreatants push themselves through excruciating levels of pain. Should a pain become excruciating, please feel free to change your sitting posture slowly and mindfully. And again, we're here not to set records. No, but certainly rather you know, to you know, develop intuitive wisdom. Now, around thoughts, there's certainly one wrong common, wrongful you know, assumption that uh, may do a lot of you know, harm, and you know, the assumption is that you know, Vipassana meditation is seen as a meditation during which in the mind no thoughts whatsoever should arise. And what do you think? Is this possible or not? 
it's not possible. So thinking is a natural occurrence, it's a natural event, and so, and so the approach to thinking in the Vipassana meditation is simply that you take it, you integrate it into your practice, and uh, you take it as an object of observation, you label it, and you try to observe it in a non-reactive manner, and then you try to know its nature. And integrated in this way, there will be no problem whatsoever. But if you sit there thinking, I shouldn't be having this sudden thought that is just uh, arising. Pardon me? It's another thought. And uh, then that uh, itself is another you know, thought, and you, know, you ought to be mindful of uh, this. Um, in the course of uh, a longer retreat, you know, the thinking does at times you know, reduce significantly. Your mindfulness you know, sooner or later will get so sharp that you know, when a thought is you know, in the formative stage, before having fully you know, formed, you know, your mindfulness is there and you know, then you know, the thought certainly may uh, disintegrate on the spot. So you know, see it as a gradual uh, development. And then, to some new retreatants, it may seem very difficult to sit for the full hour. Kindly sit according to your ability. And although here we ask meditators to you know, honor the schedule, right? So follow the schedule. If uh, after maybe 45 minutes you end up with some knee that is hurting, then stretch your leg, and then after a while, when the pain has subsided, then continue with your sitting. But try to do so quietly so that you don't disturb your fellow meditators. And um, at the beginning of a retreat, usually you know, the body is still relatively you know, stiff, the muscles are still pre they're pretty you know, tensed up, and if you, within just a few days, all of this will change, and you know, especially the leg muscles, or thigh muscles, they will loosen up, and then you know, you'll see it becomes much easier to sit for uh, longer periods of time. And you know, don't force yourself, you know, just let certain you know, things evolve naturally, and uh, then gradually you'll see you, know, you can do 40 minutes, and then you know, 50 minutes, and certainly then uh, you can easily you know, do you know, even uh, 60 minutes. Now, don't put any excessive pressure uh, on yourselves by entertaining, entertaining high expectations in terms of attaining the Dhamma or by competing with fellow meditators. This is counterproductive. Instead, you know, take an expectation or a thought of competition as an object, label it, observe it, and know its nature. 
And just recently in Lumbini, we had uh, a meditator you know, from uh, Europe who you know, first did a two-month intensive retreat at the Semangon Banditarama Semangon Forest Satna Meditation Center in Bogu Division of Burma. And uh, you know, before he you know, did this Satna you know, retreat, he figured, well, I have three months Satna you know, retreat time, two in two months in Burma, one month in Lumbini. By that time, I should you know, should have accomplished you know, the goal. And <laughs> so he, when he came to Lumbini after his two month in Burma, he came, you know, with a smile on his face and uh, you know, thinking that everything you know, would be all right. He you know, still has you know, one month uh, left to gain, you know, to gain the goal. And uh, then, about uh, two weeks into the retreat, he got so tense down that it just didn't work anymore for him. And eventually, he quit. And he, you know, first, we put, you know, uh, I suggest, or, or he uh, asked that. Uh, he you know, could do some, you know, practical, you know, the more practical work, and so eventually, you know, you know, he quit. No, so please, this does not work in worldly matters when it comes you know, to, let's say, you know, the field of education, work, and whatnot, or in certain you know, sports, athletics. You know, you know, we can you know, try to achieve a certain goal in a certain period of time, but here in the Dhamma practice, it just doesn't happen this way, and. Meditation practice is very much a process that happens according to certain conditions. So when we are ripe, when we're ready for a further development, then this will take place. But it's not something that we forcefully can push. All we can do is to encourage this sudden development is, or to support this development is, to be mindful from moment to moment. And this, if we just manage to do this, this is good enough. And everything else will happen by, you know, by itself. So sometimes, or many times, you know, people think they have to, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that, etc., to you know, you know, be in good shape uh, uh, in, in my practice. You know, but then eventually one sees it's just the mindfulness, the continuity of mindfulness you know, that matters uh, the most. And uh, as mentioned, meditation is not a matter of competition. And uh, you see, you know, sometimes uh, when one practices in a group, you know, one sees another meditator sitting there for two hours or three hours non-stop, sitting like a Buddha statue, not moving whatsoever. And then you know, one thinks, oh, this must be a really far advanced meditator. Let me try to become a, a meditator as good as this person. And? Well, suffering will follow. <laughs> and and, uh, and so, you know, this other meditator who's sitting there for two or three hours may have done already, you know, you know one year of intensive practice and be at a very different stage in his or her meditation. And therefore, why you know, do you want to meditate with this person? So. No, just uh, no, mind, uh, just uh, to focus on your own practice, and uh, no, no, if the mind goes into this comparing mode, be mindful of uh, no, that itself. Just label it as comparing, comparing, or label it as useless comparing. In <laughs> 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 I was just about to say the same thing, but I thought, well, maybe it's a little bit impolite and so. 
Now, what else do we have? Some retreatants. You have something to add? Um, it just occurred to me in relationship to the interviews that we don't want people going in and out of the meditation hall during the sit. Oh, yeah, that's a good So if your interview comes up after a sit has begun, and, uh, before it's ended, you can sit somewhere else. You can sit in, there's chairs, as you know, out in the dining room area. There's lots of outside uh, area, and it does warm up during the day here. It's not always below freezing like it was last night. Uh, there's lots of space to sit. Your room is another possibility. So uh, please don't go in and out during a sit when you're uh, retreat or your uh, meditation, your interview time comes up. Marcia, if we go out of sync with everybody else, say we have the good fortune to have a couple of long sits and then want to walk a full hour, should we not, should we then sit somewhere else rather than coming into the hall? Uh, if you're sitting a few hours. And then want you, to you walk during a sit and then. You can walk during a sit. Then you do that outside. You can do it in your room, you could do it okay. outside. Yeah. Just, Just not coming to the hall. Not room. going in and out of the hall during mm -hmm. the sit. Mm -hmm. Then, what next? Some meditators sort intentionally or semi-intentionally push the mind into states, unwholesome states of extreme fear or worry or self-judgment or guilt, and in this way force certain things, certain just or push of things just a little bit too far, and. Maintaining a proper mental balance is really crucial. Please don't forget this. And so don't experiment too much or don't push too much. When naturally, let's say, worry arises, okay, be mindful of it, but don't look for more and more of it. And, so, uh, and then it may get out of hand and then you might end up in a difficult place. So should you be experiencing extreme levels of fear, depression, anxiety, elation, hyperactivity, or anything like this, kindly inform your teacher without any delay. There's one more point here. You know, some meditators, in a slightly coming from a slightly different angle, you know, try to exercise complete control over you know, the mind by not certain, you know, allowing unwanted states of mind certain, to occur. So let's say naturally you know, worry you know, wants to arise you know, in the stream of consciousness, and certain, you know, somewhere or other they've decided they were they're not going to entertain you know, worry, and certainly then seem simply cut it or simply suppress it, that will not work either. So if something needs to come up, okay, then just observe it as best as you can. 
should a mental state certainly be, especially unwholesome mental state, become excessive, then always remember you can at any time open your eyes, get up, in any case like this, get up and uh, even if the sit is not over, uh, go outside and uh, look around and see the world is still okay. And so, um, in our meditation, as much as possible, we want to maintain an inner balance. And so, um, if you have difficulties with some extreme unwholesome mental states, then please come and talk to Marcia or to me. Now, meditation may not always be easy, and things that we carry with us, let's say certain difficulties, they do tend to arise, and if we handle them properly, then it will be all right. And with this, then, we can grow. Mindfulness very much helps to see difficult states, to know their nature, and then also to gradually let go of them as much as we can do this you know, to that certain extent also more and more happiness will come into our life. This brings us more or less you know, to near the end of our of this talk, although I've just noticed you know, this, you know, there's still a few more points that I would like to add. Namely, during the first few days of a retreat, there are certain initial difficulties that are commonly arising. And among those initial difficulties, uh, we have what? Sleepiness. Sleepiness, there you go. And what else? Restlessness. Restlessness, yes. Wandering mind. No, and then you know, pains and aches are likely to arise, and so you know, if on top of pains and aches also maybe you know, some you know, difficult mental states arise, you know, then a sense of discouragement might arise, mental discouragement, and so, you know, so if any of you know, these certain you know, occur, just know this is practice related, and certain you know, these certain you know, things will not last for ever, just you know, work with them as best as you can, and you know, then gradually you know, these certain you know, things will subside. Also, the schedule at first might be a little bit difficult, but gradually you'll uh, get certainly uh, used to it. And remember, you have all the mental qualities like mindfulness and courage and determination and whatnot you know, to overcome you know, these certain uh, difficulties. Okay, and in conclusion, may all may these certain instructions certainly given during this session be.
be useful you know, to your meditation practice. May you apply them as best as you can. And certainly, you know, may you know, these uh, uh, instructions help you, you know, to uh, develop your meditation, deepen your meditation, and certainly you know, may you know, deeper and deeper you know, levels of intuitive knowledge arise and you know, bring more and more happiness into you know, your lives. And this is it for now. Oh.